Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, this week we get a little more modern than we usually do. Once again, reviewing a movie that came out just this year. In fact, I think just these last couple months, right? Uh Uh-huh. This is 2022's Barbarian, which is getting a lot of buzz, I think, lately on the internet. It came out on HBO Max, but I think it was also released in the theaters for a little bit. Yeah, I think somewhere, somewhere, right? But right now you can get it on uh, HBO Max streaming service, which is what? One of the 15 streaming services you subscribe to, Craig? Yep. Is that mm-hmm. right? All right. <laughs> <laughs> One just ain't enough. It stars Justin Long, Bill Skarsgård, and uh, a gal named uh, Georgina Campbell, who I instantly recognized actually myself from her role in one of my all-time favorite Black Mirror episodes called Amy. Have you? Do you watch Black Mirror? Black I love shows? Black Mirror, but I didn't oh remember God. her. I believe she was the one who was, uh, it was the two girls who kind of fall in love, but they're... And then it turns out it's like uh, yeah. VI or something. Yeah, VR. yeah. And they're they're kind of dead in new bodies. Oh, God, I love that series. Yeah, it's great. I was really happy to see her in this because I hadn't seen her in anything else, and I really loved her in that. And I hadn't seen Justin Long in a while, and I've always enjoyed Justin Long. Mm-hmm. I think the first movie we did with him in it was Jeepers Creepers, right? Uh-huh. Um, and he was quite good in that um, yeah. as central character. He makes a surprise appearance in this movie for me because I didn't look up anything about it. You told me, don't read anything about this movie. Uh-huh. All I had seen was the buzz. I'm in these horror Facebook groups and things, and people kept posting the poster and saying, oh, my God, what do you guys think of this movie? Oh, my God, this movie, what do you think? And I didn't read any of that stuff, but I did make a mental note. Oh, check this out. I think in our little duo here, I'm the one who is always constantly searching for older movies to do, and you're the one who's always constantly keeping tabs on what the newer ones are that are worthwhile. That's why I tend to ignore them a little bit. So I didn't even know Justin Long was in this movie until he pops in halfway uh-huh. through, and I was like, oh, this is cool, Justin Long. So uh, so anyway, like I said, uh, I had hadn't seen this movie before. I didn't know anything about it. You proposed it and you said, don't read anything about it before you watch it. Uh, And so I was prepared for that kind of movie. And I sat down and watched it last night for the first time. How about you, Craig? Uh, What made you decide to do this, propose it? I don't know. I mean, I I guess you could say that I seek out uh, the new things, but that's just kind of because I watch everything. And so Mm. (laughs) most, it's not so much that I'm looking for something new. It's I'm looking for things that I haven't seen. Fair enough. And so I was just, uh, as I used to flip through cable, now I just, you know, scroll through these streaming services and check out what they have available. Uh-huh. And uh, I went to HBO Max, and it was there. I had never heard of it. I, I knew absolutely nothing about it. I saw that it was new. The description for the premise was a little bit vague, but sounded interesting. It basically, it just said, uh, you know, a woman arrives at her Airbnb to find that uh, it's already occupied and little does she know or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it, I, I felt going in like I knew what kind of movie it was going to be. And then for the first half hour or so, I really enjoyed it because I was really enjoying the performances. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really... <sighs> It, for the first half hour, it was what I thought it was going to be. And I kept yeah. thinking, I know where this is going. I know where this is going. And and it kept building towards what it, where I thought it was going to go. And then, out of nowhere, huge left turn that I didn't see coming at all, completely defied my expectations. <laughs> How could it? How could you, right? <laughs> right. And that's why I said don't read anything about it, uh, because I think if you know too much about it, it's not going to be as fun. Yeah. So again, we always say, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, you want to see the movie, you should turn this off, watch the movie first, and, and then come back. Because... I just I watched it for the first time last week. We, we recorded last week, and we were talking about what we should do for this week. I told you about it, and you were game, and so I told you not to watch it. So then this weekend, I watched it again, and it doesn't have the kind of rewatch factor that some mm. movies have um, right. because I, I knew what was coming. So yeah. that, that shock value, that surprise value is gone upon a second viewing. It's still a good movie. I think that um, it's well made. I really like the performances a lot. I think that the cinematography and direction are are really skillful. Oh, yeah. So overall, I think it's a really good movie, and I, I highly recommend it. But if you can avoid reading anything about it or, or talking with people about it before you see it, I think you're going to have a more fun experience. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. I have to admit, like, I, I just I just thought it was an intense experience almost from the beginning to the end, but especially, like you said, the first half hour. This um, is another one of those writer-director movies, which are, are, are often interesting because there's somebody's singular vision here that they got to the screen, you know, so some indie writer-director thing. I, I'm always interested in seeing what they what they have to come up with. And uh, after watching it, I went and I read about Zach Kreger. Uh-huh. He's an American actor, director. He hasn't done too much be- before this. He's He's been acting in uh, some TV series here and there. Nothing I've really noticed. Mm-mm. But uh, this is kind of his, I would say, feature film debut. And uh, it's quite skillful in the direction. And when I went and I read about the background of him actually writing this, I was super personally excited. Because he sat down and wrote this script as an exercise. He mm-hmm. wanted to write a 30-minute script after reading a book that I love and read years ago um, called The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. This is a book that um, actually my wife read first. The minute she re- read it, she said, Todd, you need to read this book. This book explains everything about how women feel. So so I was like, okay, sure, I'll read it. And I read it, and I was just blown away. Just real briefly, Gavin DeBecker is a guy who himself was a product of a pretty abusive household. And as he grew up, he found his calling in helping people deal with their problems with others, like basically stalker-type situations, things like that. And he has an agency where he essentially helps celebrities and big-name people deal with the attention they get, the the, the mail, you know, they, they open their mail for them and, and, and sort through it. They huh. um, help screen some of their phone calls for them. And then when this person has an issue, like somebody is stalking them, some crazy fan situation, then they analyze, like, is this something we really need to worry about? Who could this possibly be? And uh, is it somebody close enough to you? And, and all that. And so he his agency specializes in this. And he wrote this book called The Gift of Fear. And it's fantastic. And I feel like if every person in the world read this book, women, but also men <laughs> uh, who are open-minded, they would have a better understanding of how to be better people. And the long story short is the premise of the book is that fear is a gift that our body gives us. When you walk down a dark alley or you go into some crowded situation or something, wherever you are, if you're starting to feel uncomfortable, there's a reason for that. Your body knows it before you do. Your brain uh, is attuned to what could possibly be wrong, what is different (laughs) about this situation and what is uneasy about it before you recognize it consciously. So he says you need to pay attention to that and you need to act on it or else you will find yourself in trouble. And he says, one of the reasons why women find themselves in bad situations so often is because they are often taught as young girls not to be rude, Mm -hmm. to be polite, and to suppress these feelings. And so women will find themselves walking down a street and there'll be some guy crossing on the other side that they just feel weird about, but they will go, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing, it's fine, and it will turn out to be that guy. Or... More to the point of the book and the practical advice as well is that uh, usually when he talks to these people and says, all right, you got this guy stalking you. It's getting creepy. It's getting scary. Who do you think it could be? That person will go through like a list of folks. And then at the end of the list, he'll be like, all right, is there anybody else? And they'll be like, well, you know, it's probably not this guy because blah, 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 blah. But I don't know. It's possible it could be him. And he's like, it's usually him. (laughs) it's the one that person has recognized is problematic but they have over time just talked it away you know try to convince themselves he's not and so the reason why men should read this book is he goes into great detail about how men make women uncomfortable by preying on them even when they think they're not Uh or even when you know it's like oh come on honey i'm just teasing with you whatever men's greatest fear is that they're going to be embarrassed uh-huh. by some situation. And women's greatest fear is that they're going to get killed. Uh-huh. And that has stuck with me, that quote from that book. And, and Bick, my wife, pointed to that and said, this is absolutely true. And it changed me a little bit. I mean, I've I'm, I'm not been <laughs> that kind of guy. Right, uh, right. I think I've always been pretty polite, but I'm always hypersensitive and hyper careful about never letting myself or anybody in my orbit make anyone feel uncomfortable in that way. Even if they think they're joking, even if they think they're laughing, it's pretty obvious that sometimes that goes a little beyond what that person 
thinks, and then they get fearful. And so anyway, he read this book, and he sat down to, uh, to write a 30-minute short where a woman finds herself in a situation where she just starts ignoring all of the red flags and gets herself into trouble. And that's kind of how it starts out. But then, as you say, it it takes a turn. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a strange coincidence that we're doing this just a couple of weeks after we did that little Red Riding Hood movie, In the Company of Wolves. Because yeah. I, it, it, I feel like it addresses kind of the same concern. You're right. Um, and also, I, I just watched another movie this weekend, and I, I posted kind of a discussion about it on our Patreon page, but another movie called Run, Sweetheart, Run, which is very much the same thing. It's about women kind of ignoring some red flags because in many ways, you know, men are, they, they seem safe, they seem charming. And, and from an outside perspective, like we'll get to talking about this movie in just a second, but this, the scenario that this young woman finds herself in, it could be perfectly safe, but it could mm-hmm. not. And and yeah. and as a viewer, as an outside, you can tell based on her performance that she's hesitant and reluctant, as she should be. Yes. But uh, you know, from as from an outside perspective, I was very tense in those moments. I was just going to say, you know, it's it's sad that that's the way that things are, that women have to be so on guard all the time. Yeah. And and also that men have to, or, or should, try to be aware of that and, and do their best to make uh, people comfortable. And I say it's sad, but that's just the state of things. And I do think that we as men have a responsibility to be aware of ourselves and how our actions uh, can be perceived. Even I, a gay man, uh, a few weeks ago, I went to the grocery store and it was one of those stores where you have to have a quarter to get to unlock a shopping cart. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a quarter. I had 25 cents. I had two dimes and a nickel, but I didn't have a quarter. And there were two young women, I assume probably college-age women, uh, shopping together, unloading their cart in the parking lot. And this was broad daylight. And I went to ask them if I could give them my 25 cents in exchange for their cart. But even as I approached them, I was thinking, this could make them uncomfortable. Mm. A strange man approaching them in a public place. And when I said something, I said, excuse me, or excuse me, miss, or something, they turned around and looked at me, and I could tell that just for a split second, they were on guard. Mm. Um, I don't know this man. I don't know what he wants. Um, And then, of course, they were polite and gave me their cart, and I gave them 25 cents, and we all moved on with our lives. But even in just innocent, simple moments like that, I think women have to be very much aware of their surroundings, and uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but it is the truth of the world because there are dangerous predatory people, not just men, but uh, yeah. there are dangerous predatory men out there. And and I think that that's what the, the first part of the movie deals with. You know, it starts out, uh, it's a rainy night. Um, this young woman, beautiful woman, Tess, played by Georgina Campbell, as you already said, pulls up to the outside of, it's nighttime, uh, a small house looks like a small suburban house with a you know a small front lawn looks like a a fairly nice place and she checks um her email for her airbnb confirmation information and and she has like a a code for a lockbox that the key will be inside and she struggles with it she she memorized the number wrong for a second eventually she gets it open and there's no key in there and she calls the uh, property manager, but she just gets a voicemail. So she goes and she's sitting in her car trying to figure out what to do when she sees a light on in the house. So she goes back up to the house and uh, knocks on the door. And this man opens the door, and it's Bill Skarsgård. And Bill Skarsgård, you know, played Pennywise in the new It movies. Uh, mm-hmm. He, But he's done a lot of things. You know, he's he's launching what appears to be a very successful career. And he's tall, and he's handsome, but he's also kind of got... I mean, he played Pennywise for Pete's sake. He's got kind yeah. of a men... Yeah. I don't know. There's Creepy just something eyes. about his face. Yeah, there's something <laughs> yeah. about his face that could potentially be a little bit uh, frightening. But he opens the door. It seems like she's awakened him from sleep. He's kind of groggy. Yeah. I'm sorry. Who are you? What? Who are you? This is 476 Barbary, right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think so. You don't know? No. I don't live here. I'm renting this place. It's the middle of the night. I don't have it top of my head, the address. No, I... 
I'm running this place. What? I, I'm running this place. I, I, I booked it on Airbnb like a month ago. I booked it on HomeAway. You're fucking kidding. Wait, wait. Wait, are you sure you have the right place? Yeah, my email says 476 Barbary. That's here, right? And my code works for the lockbox. I'm supposed to be in here. Did you try and call someone? Yeah, no one answered. And you sure you have the right date? Look. Yeah, I mean, it looks right. Fuck, this is unbelievable. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know. Why don't you? Why don't you come inside, and we'll call these idiots. And right from the beginning. Red flags are going off in my mind. Don't go in yeah. there. You don't know who this guy is. You're alone. It's night. It's the middle of the night. Um, he could be anybody. He could be a squatter. He, you know, anybody. For whatever reason, she decides to go in. And then it's kind of everything seems to line up. She checks his confirmation information, and it looks legit. They booked through different agencies. Mm-hmm. But his stuff looks legit. He he's being nice. She runs into his uh his his wallet while she's uh-huh. in his room. His name is what it says it is and what he said it was. And and also uh it's really cool because she's locking the door every room she goes into. She's obviously being cautious, right? Even as she's doing this stuff and that's the camera is very clear. I mean, actually I really like the um I really like the cinematography in this movie. It's very punchy. It very much wants to direct our attention very quickly to things that we need to. Uh-huh. It doesn't zoom, but it's got these fast dolly shots sometimes and these quick close-ups. I saw it described, I think, by the director himself that that upstairs it's uh, it's like a David Fincher movie and downstairs it's Raimi. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a very different, um, very distinct, different visual style between uh, when the movie kind of starts to go into darker territory in a different place than here. But here it's very, I mean, and I think that itself ratchets up the tension. Like, oh, she locked the door. That's important. Oh boy. <laughs> you know, uh, all of these things uh, really add up to to increase the tension as we walk with her through this and think uh, like you said like uh, what what would we do in the circumstance uh-huh. oh, maybe don't do that oh yeah he might be okay but okay good at least you lock the door all right fine oh he checks out on all right and maybe he's not lying then he's being sweet to her you know he offers to make her tea but she doesn't drink the tea and that's you know the first thing in a horror movie don't drink the tea right all right she doesn't drink the tea but then later he notices she didn't drink the tea and says to her there's a bottle of wine here i want to have a drink and if you want to drink it with me i noticed you didn't open the tea so i was going to open it in front of you just so uh-huh. you're more comfortable you know he's being deferential he knows and understands and he's trying his best to make her feel comfortable, which is unnerving. You know, it is unnerving. Is it a is it a nice guy move or is it a you know master manipulator move? Exactly. Yeah. Even in that moment with the tea and the wine, I'm like, did he tamper with the wine somehow without right. her? No. Like I'm questioning all of these things, and that because that's what I'm expecting to happen. Because hmm. and and I think that. Um, Bill Skarsgård is just, I I think he's a really good actor, and uh, he does such a good job here, not only of being charming, but of being aware. He he understands that she's nervous and uncomfortable. They talk about it. Yeah. They talk about how he said that he wouldn't know what to do if he were in her shoes, and she said, oh, you would have just waltzed right in here, and he said, you just waltzed right in here. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, they're they're both very aware of the dynamic dynamic and and we are aware of the dynamic yes he seems very mild-mannered and charming but if you were trying to manipulate somebody isn't that what you would do like you wouldn't Mm -hmm. be aggressive from the get-go and i mean he does he really comes across as very kind and warm and charming and and he's helpful he it's raining he goes out in the rain and he gets her luggage and he he does offer to make her tea and he does consider that she might be wary of accepting a drink from a strange man so he waits to open the wine until she can be present but the whole time i'm thinking yeah that's they're setting her up you know to be to get comfortable so that later he can pounce and make his move and then he's going to become very sinister because i'm also very aware of the fact that the dude's almost seven feet tall like he's a huge (laughs) guy he's lean but he's big if he wanted to he could 
easily physically overpower her. And that is where I thought the movie was going without question. I was just waiting for it to happen. Me too. And 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 uh, eventually she lets her guard down because she is there in town. This is Detroit, by the way. And she's there in town to investigate the local music scene for a document. Well, she's interviewing for a, a position with a documentary filmmaker who does these documentaries about the local music scene. He says, oh, well, you should interview me then. And she's like, why? And he's like, well, I'm one of the co-founding members of some collective uh, music collective and she's like that one it's like oh yeah and it turns out that he's legitimately seen the this sort of obscure indie movie that uh, this director had produced before and so all of that is clearly coincidence you know there's just no way he could know these things uh-huh. without being genuine about it and so once that's clear to her it not only does her guard let down but she's kind of charmed by him. <laughs> and these two actors have really good chemistry together. I mean, this yeah. it, it, at that point, when she kind of lets her guard down, it feels kind of like a meet-cute from a rom-com. <laughs> like, right, like exactly. They, they really hit it off, and uh, everything seems fine. He's chivalrous. He offers to sleep on the couch, and, and she sleeps um, in the bedroom. But in the middle of the night, she hears a noise and she looks in the door, her door, her bedroom door is open and it had been closed when she had gone to sleep. So she kind of gets up. She calls his name quietly and doesn't hear anything. She gets up and then as she approaches the living room, she starts to hear these odd noises and it's him on the couch making weird noises. It appears that he's having a nightmare mm-hmm. and, and she's kind of nervous and she nervously touches him and he startles awake and, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and she says, I think you were having a nightmare. And she asked, did you open my door? And he's like, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just think he's really good. He plays that kind of startled awake, groggy, like, leave me alone yeah. kind of thing really, really well. And then, you know, they just go back to sleep. And uh, when she gets up in the morning, he's gone. He left her a nice note saying, you know, I have stuff to do today or whatever, but I hope to see you tonight. I had a really good night last night. And I'm thinking, wow, this this guy's good. You know, like he's yeah. luring her into this thing where she thinks that they've kind of got a relationship. You know, if he was going to do something, he surely would have already done it. You know, he wouldn't have given her the opportunity to flee during the day, but he did. And so she goes outside to go to her uh, job interview. And that's when you realize for the first time that although the house that they're staying in seems very nice, it's smack in the middle of what looks like a completely abandoned and run-down neighborhood. Like, it's scary. A bad, bad part of town. Like, the homes don't even look like they're occupied, or if they are occupied, it's probably just by derelicts or squatters. Yeah. Anyway, she goes to her interview. It's fine. The interview goes well, but the interviewer asks her where she's staying, and when um, Tess tells her where she's staying, the interviewer's like, What? Yeah. You know it? <laughs> are you kidding? Well, I, I mean... Yeah, it seems a little rough. No, you shouldn't be there. What do you mean? That's not an Airbnb in Brightmoor. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a a cute little house, but... Yeah, I suppose the neighborhood is a little... Tess. Well, I I did try and find somewhere else, but uh, there's, like, a convention in town or something, and I I, I have a roommate, so it's uh, it's a little complicated. (laughs) I guess. Okay, well, just be careful, okay? So when she goes back, as she gets out of her car, we see in the distance somebody in the background running towards her. And she eventually notices, too. And it's a homeless man who's running and shouting at her um, and almost reaches her just as she gets into the door. And then he bangs on the door and says, you got to get out of that house. You shouldn't be in that house. And then he goes away. And this is when... Things started to get more directly scary, but I still felt like I knew where it was going. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yep. Uh, yeah. Does he come home at this point? Or no. Is it, this is poking, she, she's still poking around. She's poking around because she she needs to she needs toilet paper or something, That's and, right. and so she's looking around for toilet paper. There's a door that leads down into a basement, and she goes down there and she finds toilet paper. But in the time that she's down there, the door swings closed and locks from the outside, yeah, and so she can't get out. That's when she starts. I mean, 
What else are you going to do? She doesn't have her cell phone. She also has the key on her to uh-huh. the apartment, which she should have left in the lockbox for the guy. So yeah. even she's like, oh, you know, crap. Like when this guy comes home, he's not even going to be able to come in. And how is she going to be able to signal that she's trapped in the basement? So it's, it's you know, it's a pretty weird situation. That door, by the way, has been creaking closed and open a little bit, you know, if you catch it in the background during the earlier, some of the earlier scenes, especially at night when she woke up. So it it does also, you know, there's a little bit of a supernatural-ish feeling there, perhaps. And uh, while she's probing around downstairs, um, she hears a noise coming from behind a wall. And when she turns around and kind of looks at the wall more, she looks on the shelf and sees that there is a hole in the wall with a rope sticking out of it. And she pulls on that rope and a hidden door swings open. And it leads into this sort of dark tunnel. And she. If, if, yeah, at first, she says, nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah, that was so brilliant. She's saying what we're thinking. Nope. <laughs> but, but then, I don't know, curiosity gets the better of her. And, uh, you know, there's no light in there. So she props up a mirror, which is kind of smart, uh, to shine a light from the ceiling down the hallway so that she can get down there a little bit. And she sees it's a rather short hallway, but there is definitely another room or a door on the side. So she walks in. And uh, sure enough, when she makes this little left in this hallway, uh, there is a room, and it's creepy. Yeah. It's a bed with a bucket on the floor and a video camera set up in the corner. Yeah, and it, like, and it, it looks like, she says later, I think, it looks like a dungeon. And it does. I mean, we say a bed, but it's just a dirty, disgusting mattress on, yeah. a, on like a metal frame. And then the bucket looks disgusting. And, and a video camera set up pointed right at the bed like, yeah, this is bad. This is not cool. I mean, you're thinking all sorts of things. Obviously, torture, horror movies, stuff like that. Also, you know, I keep thinking about real life stuff. Like, there was a year, I don't know, probably 10 years ago or 8 years ago, where suddenly we were finding little suburban neighborhood guys who were keeping women locked up in their basement for and decades uh-huh. for decades you know and and so you're thinking oh god is this a remnant of that is this still going on is this that guy somehow he's got something set up down there it's really the movie starts to take a comp- almost a complete left turn not completely cuz you're still wondering maybe it's this guy oh gosh i i I thought it's him. I I, I thought yeah. it's him. It's it, he's a bad guy, and uh, so she kind of gets out of there and and bangs on the window because yeah. right because he's there. He showed up, and he uh, gets the window open and she gives him the key. He comes in. He gets her out of the basement and she's freaking out as she should be. He's trying to calm her down and asking her what she found. And she tells him, and he's like, "Well, wait, don't leave. Let's let's figure this out." Uh, and he even says, "Look, I'm sorry that I'm not panicking because of what you saw, but I haven't seen it. I need yeah. to see it." He, you know, he he says something like. So you found a room with an old bed and a bucket. It's a basement. There's all kinds of crap down there, which could logically be true, but yeah. the, the truth is he hasn't seen it. If he were to see it, he would be just as freaked out as she was. And yeah. in this moment, you know, he's trying to get her to stay. He even kind of physically blocks her from getting out, um, yeah. even though he's still being very gentle and, and comforting. Um, I'm thinking you need to get out of there. Don't trust this guy because he says, just let me let me go check it out. And then we can leave. And so he goes down there, and he's down there for a little while. And then she goes to the door uh, of the stairway and calls down to him, and he doesn't answer. Well, at first he does. At first she says, are you, are you there? And he's like, yeah. There's, there's like a very faint yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but then she waits a little longer and yells a few more times, and you're right, he doesn't answer. So. And I'm thinking, don't go down there. Like, yeah. this, is a, this is so obviously a trap. Um, he's down there waiting for you. The second you get down there, he's going to grab you and lock you in that room. And then we're going to have to watch you be tortured for the rest of this movie. Right. <laughs> but she does go down. She almost locks herself in there again, but catches it at the last minute and props yeah. uh That was a good moment. I, <laughs> I like these little moments in this movie. This movie was good with these kinds of moments. Uh, where it just kind of subverts your expectations a little bit. Like, oh, they're gonna, she's going to get trapped down there again. Oh, no, actually, she's smart. She ran up there in time. And this, you know, this happens. She moves slowly. So the tension is building. You know, oh, yeah. it's a very, God. very, it's not like she's running around. You know, she's very slowly moving, looking around for him. She fi- She goes to the room. He's not in there. She steps back out into that dark, creepy hallway and kind of looks around and realizes that, 
on the other end of the hallway, there's another door that sh- neither she nor we had previously noticed. Yeah, it's even more hidden. It's like at the end of the wall, yeah. And when she go- she opens that door, it leads to more <sighs> stairs going even further down into what... I don't know. I did not know what to expect. It's like, like a mine. At yeah. this point, you're like, oh, God, all bets are off. We have no idea. And... He's now faintly yelling, help, help me. Uh-huh, very faintly. Like, it sounds like he's oh man, hundreds yards away. <laughs> like, yeah. where is he? Um, and she goes down there, and it appears to be, like, this system of tunnels, and she sees, like, large dog crates down there. It's all very scary. <laughs> yeah. And, and at the same time, you're thinking, this woman is a good person, and she should run out, but also maybe this guy really is in trouble. You know, Uh you can tell like she wants to help him. She's not the kind of person who's going to leave somebody behind, especially when she's the one who sent him in, you know, more or less. Uh So there's got to be a little, a certain level of guilt there. Well, well. and it's really dark and she only has the flashlight on her cell phone. And eventually he kind of pops out of the dark. Um, And it, for a split second, I didn't know. I still was thinking he's going to grab her. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't. He just says, we have to get out of here. We have to get out of here. And she's like, what? What's going on? And he says, there's somebody else down here. And, and he's whispering. And he's obviously scared. Why did you come down here? Someone else is down here. No, why? Why did you come down someone, here? Someone else is down here. What? Is someone bit me. Okay, we need to go. We need to get through. We need to get out of here. No, 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 uh, and uh, it happens really fast, and it's dark, and you can't really see what's going on. But whoever this person is grabs Keith by the head and just smashes his head against the wall, like just totally destroys his head repeatedly. Oh, it's gross! And and boom, cut to bright sunny daylight along the coastal highway. Oh. What a jarring scene. I, I have to admit, I was really happy for the let up intention. I had been on the edge of my seat for a good 15 minutes, you know, before this. Uh-huh. If, if not, to some extent, the whole movie before this, really. And so I was very grateful for this bright, sunny, okay. Oh, all right, we got something else going on here, but also completely puzzled. They just brought this new guy in out of nowhere, completely new scene, driving out, obviously not in Detroit, and it's Justin Long. Uh-huh, and he's singing and having a good time. Like, yeah. I was Top so down. I was so shocked I, I, for a couple of reasons. One, I thought Keith was going to be the bad guy. I was positive. And then two, I never would have thought that he would have gotten killed off 30, 40 minutes into the movie. He's a big movie star. I figured, Mm -hmm. you know, he's the star of this movie, or at least one of the stars of the movie, and here he is brutally killed within the first half hour. I was so shocked. And then for it to cut to this bright scene with Justin Long, who just seems like a very charming person uh, in real life, and that reads on the screen and everything that he does. Mm -hmm. And so here we are with fun, cute, Justin Long driving in a convertible along the coast, singing his head off. I had no idea what was happening at that point, and I loved it. I loved that my expectations had been subverted, and I was really excited to see what was going to happen next. Yeah, me too. And how does this relate, right? And also, like you said, also, I I love Justin Long. Not just does he come across really well in movies and he's fun to look at and he's interesting guy but he comes across as really nice just as a person down to Uh, earth yeah if you read interviews with him he's fairly scandal free seems very sensitive and i mean think i'm knocking on wood here you know who knows in this day and age but yeah he's just he's just fun and so i thought oh man this movie is gonna is gonna get even more fun i was totally taken by this point and as he's driving on the highway he's chatting on the cell phone with 
I guess his agent. It turns out he's an actor or something. Uh-huh. There's a problem with an upcoming project, and there's two people on the line, and they're delivering bad news to him that not only has he been pulled off of this project, but there are going to be allegations of sexual harassment towards him. And you can just see it. He's stunned. He doesn't know what to say for a little while. You see things are turning in his head. And of course, I'm thinking, did he do it? Did he not? Maybe he did. You know, like it, instant drama and intrigue coming with this brand new character that we've seen for five minutes. Well, and it's it seems like his, I'm guessing that it's probably his agent and his lawyer. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, they, they kind of try to ease him into it but then when he gets because he's mad i i I was the first to be attached to that she came on after me okay i recommended her aj i think honestly you just need to call that i think we should tell him the other thing no i think right now he just needs to cool down what other what other it's not important aj you just have to relax no 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 no. fuck that what other what else there's going to be a story tomorrow in the hollywood reporter about this about what about me are you kidding the allegations are very serious Yo, what's she saying I did? Is she saying I raped her or something? AJ, why don't you just calm down? No, what the f*** is she saying? Yes, she's saying that you raped her. AJ, are you there? I gotta call you back. And pulls over to the side of the road. And yes, I'm wondering, did he do it too? I think that this is brilliant casting. The director offered the role to Zac Efron, which I also think would be an interesting choice, but... I think that this is even better because we are so used to Justin Long Long being a good guy, a nice guy, a sweet guy. And it seems that that, from the time that we meet him, he seems very charming. Mm -hmm. And so then, of course, you're questioning yourself. uh, You know, did he do it? He meets with his financial advisor who basically tells him that within a couple of months, if he can't find work, he's going to be penniless. And he says, you you know, you've got those properties in Michigan. Uh, He says, I could sell those. And the guy's like, well, uh, yeah, you could, but it's not like those are really hot properties that might buy you a few more months, but that's it. Oh, and by the way, I'm dropping you too. Like, Mm. I I think that this is very true uh, of today when serious allegations like that are lobbied against uh, a person, people want to distance themselves um, yeah, they don't. They don't want to have any, anything to do with somebody who could potentially be caught up in something bad. I mean, you have no help. You know, right. <laughs> you're really on your own in these circumstances. And- so he fly. Uh, he flies to uh, Detroit, which his lawyer says is a terrible idea. And Justin Long says, well, "I'm not under arrest." He's like, "I'm not fleeing. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm coming here to do business to do some liquidation." He's like, "Am I going to be arrested?" And his lawyer's like, it's definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, let, let, let me just call this woman and, and clear things up. And the lawyer says, under no circumstances will you call this woman. Uh-huh. Um, and so then he, you know, he's in Detroit. He's going, he's going to liquidate one of his properties. He drives there. And of course, it's the house. Yeah. From the first part of the movie. Uh, and both Keith and Tessa's cars are still parked in front, mm. which mm. you would think would kind of tip him off because they're completely out of place <laughs> and they're parked directly in front of his house. Yeah. But he goes up and I, I think the door is unlocked. Like he checks uh, for the key, but it's not there. And I think the door is unlocked because he just goes in and he kind of makes himself comfortable, but it doesn't take long before he realizes that there's something up. He notices that the basement door is propped and then he finds luggage. He finds their luggage. And it's great too. He's like, what the hell? Like he's got a great attitude and affect. He's just he's acting like a normal person like this guy would be in the movie, I think. He, he just plays this so well. You know, I saw an interview with him, and he talked about playing this role. You should look it up online. It's, it's really cool. And one of the things he says is, you know, he says, I'm not really a method actor. I'm not a guy who just can just jump into a role. He says, I've heard stories of Leonardo DiCaprio, how he can be playing a video game and then press pause and then jump in and do this amazing scene in character and then just come back to his video game and start playing it again. He's like, I'm not that guy. So, uh, but he is so good as an actor and he can, he feels so natural in this role. And uh, you're thinking, okay, what is he going to find this stuff downstairs? Does he know about this? I can't remember if it's now or later. No, it's it's now that he goes out, right? Hangs yeah, out well, he friend. talks to his mom on the phone and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's 
talking to his mom saying, you know, she's a lying bitch, and the mom's like, oh, you shouldn't really talk like that, whatever. But it, it, I feel like it just kind of starts to expose more of his true nature. But then when he yeah. goes out, a friend calls him, and he goes out, and they meet at a bar, and the first thing the friend asks him is, did you do it? Mm-hmm. And his response... Oh man, it, it's just oh. so it's so weird coming from Justin Long. Dude, dude, I'll be real with you. That's okay. all I'm asking. Yo, yo, let That's me, only I'll, thing I'm Let asking. me be real with you. We fucked. We did okay? Right. She just took some convincing is all. That's okay. it. Okay, but what the fuck does that mean though? Like, I mean, was she like, did she say no? Was I she, mean, like, no stop? At first, but like, I wasn't like, come here, bitch, I'm gonna rape you. Right. It was like, in the beginning, she was like, no, whatever, but like, and then we started fooling around more, and then she was down. Like, right. fucking really down. I'm a persistent dude, right? I'm like, I had a tiger. Yeah. You know? And, right. And she came around, and that's it. That, that's what happened, straight up. It sounds really fishy. It's so shady. What everything he's saying, you're like, oh god, he did it. Yeah, he, he totally, totally did, did it. it. Mm-hmm. So then that that question is answered, and I'm thinking, you know, in my kind of movie analytical mode, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's going to get it too because now they're setting him up as an unsympathetic character. Uh huh. <laughs> when he gets home from the bar, he does call the girl. Of course, she doesn't answer, but he leaves a drunken message, just saying he's sorry, and if he did anything that offended her, he's sorry, and and that's. He'd love the opportunity to apologize actually yeah. to her, not just a recording. And what he's saying, that that's another thing that makes it so unsettling because he sounds sincere in that, you know, he thinks that he may have pushed a little too far and offended her. Dude, you raped her. Like, that's not yeah. something that you're offended by. But I, I feel like that's just a really, it, it shows his character. Like, he really didn't think it was that big a deal. But you can see, like, the... The remorse, right? And I don't no, know. He, I don't think so at all. No, I think that I he's feel, just. I just think that he's upset that he's in he's trouble. Caught. Yeah, yeah, that could be. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I felt like there was a little bit more of like this guy. And look, it's no excuse. Absolutely no excuse. But I thought that there was just a hint of of genuine, perhaps unawareness in him. Like he's trying to talk himself out of something he kind of knows he did. Okay, and you know what? I'm not going to make excuses for this guy. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't find him. I did not find him sympathetic at all. At that point, I'm like, this is a bad dude, and he's yeah. pro- he's probably done it before and gotten well, away with it, and that's why he didn't think it was any big deal. What happens next, I think, is quite hilarious, and again, paints his character in a different light. He he comes home back to the place, and he's going to be putting this up on the market to raise money for his legal offense, and so he goes downstairs. He discovers this. Um, little room dungeon with yeah the dungeon yeah and he's not you think oh god well he's going to be disturbed by this too he goes back upstairs and the first thing he does is google does basement uh square footage add to total square footage of the house right <laughs> he's oblivious to the fact that he's got this creepy dungeon in his basement and he immediately goes down and starts measuring it mm-hmm. <laughs> measure gleefully measuring it like oh man i'm gonna get more money out of this then he finds that other door and he sees that creepy thing downstairs i'm thinking okay well surely he's disturbed by this no he takes a tape measure to the top of the stairs and is measuring down the stairs down the hallway it's it's really funny (laughs) it is funny and like he he kind of gives things sideways glances like hmm that's weird but he's he's definitely more concerned about square footage until (laughs) way down the hall there's light coming out of a like a a room and he goes down there and there's like fabric on the floor Mm. and there's a tv that's on and running a video of a woman like like instructional video for teaching women how to breastfeed Yes. Super weird. Mm-hmm. And then as he's standing there looking at that, something or someone grabs his tape measure and yanks it out of his hand. Mm. And so he has a, he brought a knife because he had heard noises down there, but apparently he wasn't particularly concerned. So he's got a knife and he's got his flashlight. Does the woman just come charging at him? I think she does. Right? Yeah, she does. Yeah. She comes charging at him and he... He starts running. He's like uh, running in one direction. He's kind of c- comes to a dead end. He runs another direction. Eventually, the woman kind of pr- pounces on him and he falls into a pit. And this thing closes over him. And suddenly, out of the darkness comes 
Tess, she's down there. She's like, shh. So now we know Tess is alive. Uh, and she's captured by this creature. And he's down there too. And they're both confused. And she's just this big, naked, feral woman. Yes. Um, she's kind of got like a, a little bit of um, wrong turn or hills mm-hmm. have eyes kind of disfigurement like of her mutant. face kind of thing yeah she's uh vocal but non-verbal and she tess is trying she's like you have to calm down because if you freak out she's gonna freak out and i'm thinking how long has she been down there (laughs) like (laughs) what is the time frame here as it turns out she doesn't even know how long she's been down there certainly days if not I think when he when he called his property manager because he thought maybe somebody was renting, the property manager's like, no, we haven't had anybody rent that for like two weeks. So I think Tess has been down there for a couple of weeks. The woman lowers through the grate at the top of this pit a baby bottle, oh. and it's disgusting. It's got her That's hair gross. all over it, and she's lowering it to AJ, and Tess is like, just drink it. Just drink it. <laughs> but he won't, and so she gives it to Tess, and Tess does drink it. But because Justin Long refuses, she opens up, the the woman opens up the grate, jumps down there, and grabs him, pulls him out. And 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 takes <laughs> takes him back to her room. Well, of course, Tess wisely takes the opportunity to get the heck out of there, mm-hmm. and and so she's headed towards the house. Uh, but she passes by the room that she's billed as the mother. So I'm just going to start calling her that. Um, yeah. Where the mother has Justin Long in there and is forcing him to breastfeed. Ugh, oh, off of these really so gross. gross. Oh, this was so funny, too, when uh, it's disgusting. And uh, Justin Long in his interview was talking about doing this scene. And he said, you know, the the actor who played uh, who played the woman is actually a, a man. Yeah. And uh, he's he's a pretty good actor. He's well known. He's done a number of other movies, uh, has played uh, in makeup uh, in a lot of them. He's quite good in this role in this film. He is good in this because ultimately he's sympathetic. She the character she. is sympathetic. Yeah. Matthew Patrick Davis is his name. A handsome man. I mean, looking at his pictures, nice-looking guy. Yeah, he um, he dirties up well. I was, I suppose. <laughs> and he was like, you know, filming the scene was, of course, very awkward because uh, you're riding a fine line here between making this kind of a little ridiculous uh-huh. or silly or being a little campy or funny or, or dumb. And uh, so he really struggled with this, trying to make it right. And he said, of course, it's he's trying to build up his emotional level. Uh, it's hard to do. He said, horror movie sets are rarely actually scary. <laughs> you right. know, they're just full of people and you're surrounded and all that. So he's trying to build up this intensity and trying to do this scene, which is difficult. And in between takes, Patrick is being super sweet to him. He's like, are you okay? Is everything all right? Do you need anything? And he says, which number one is weird coming from this guy in this disgusting mother evil makeup. Up, but also is kind of taking him out of the moment like <laughs> hard for him to get so worked up again and start to be afraid when he's being so sweet to him but uh yeah he said this was definitely a challenging scene to take and again it could have been very different instead it's gross and utterly terrifying uh the the filmmaking here is just fantastic yeah and i don't remember at what point because i know that she um gets back into the house into the basement of the house but Mm -hmm. she's locked in the basement again so she goes to the window and starts crawling out the window and the scary homeless guy who had been chasing her before grabs her and pulls her out just a split second before the mother appears at the window and reaches out for her but doesn't get her and then the mother just uh, slinks back into the darkness and the homeless guy was says i told you not to go in there (laughs) (laughs) and and he says and she's not even the scariest thing down there and i was like what (laughs) and then is is this when it cuts away because eventually it cuts to another scene like like the same kind of jarring cut as before Mm. it jump cuts to the same house, but clearly at a different time. Because yep. because it the neighborhood looks nice. It looks like a very nice uh, small suburban neighborhood. It's like in the eighties. When, uh-huh. when you know, when the auto industry was booming and I actually lived in DC at this time. Detroit. You know, it was I'm sorry, yeah, I lived in Detroit at this time. It was very uh 
optimistic and everybody was making money working in the auto factories and things like that. It was uh, different than it is now. A man comes walking out of the house. We find out his name is Frank, but he's played by Richard Brake, uh, who is so recognizable. He just has a very recognizable face. He's very tall mm. and lean, uh, kind of a, got a gruff face. I recognize him immediately from uh, 31, Rob Zombie's 31. He played mm. Doomhead, like the worst of the people in that crazy murderous game or whatever. Um, and he's worked with Rob Zombie in other movies too. In fact, I think he is even in the Munsters. Oh, but, but he's creepy. Oh gosh. And, and his whole thing doesn't take very long. He goes to a grocery store and he asks for help. He needs plastic sheets because he's going to be doing a home birth and, and it's just going to be him, no midwife or anything, which the grocery store person doesn't find all that strange. I would find that strange. <laughs> right. But she gives him everything he'll need, including like a uh, instructional what to do with your baby VHS. Yeah. Which I don't even think that I noticed the first time around as I was watching it. I was thinking it was just a self-help book. But in hindsight, no, it's a video. It's the video Mm -hmm. that we've already seen. And then before he goes back home, he follows a woman that he sees in the parking lot. He follows her to her house, poses as a water and power employee to get into her house and unlocks her bathroom window. So we know exactly who this guy is. Like, he's got a pair of coveralls in his trunk with a, a fake name on it. This just seems like something that he does. Mm-hmm. And when he gets back to his house, his neighbor comes up to him and says, hey, I just wanted to give you the heads up. Uh, there's going to be a for sale sign in our uh, yard. Um, we're getting out of here. We're afraid if we wait any longer, we won't be able to sell the house. And he said, the neighbor says, you think you'll move? And the guy says, no. I, I'm I'm never leaving. <laughs> and then he walks into the house, and it's you know obviously in the '80s style, but it is the house. Yeah. And he walks all the way to the back, and he opens the basement door, and you hear screaming and crying—a woman screaming and crying from the basement. Yeah. <sighs> so we know the history, at least some history of this house. But when it when we come back, she uh, has gotten out and she goes to the she finds a gas station and she calls the police, and they don't take her seriously at all. They take her back to the house, but because she's all dirty and she can't provide any identification, they think she's just some crackhead, and they totally disregard her. Yeah, and leave her there alone. The homeless guy comes back and says, "You got to get out of here," because she comes out at night. But and but she says, "But there's somebody else down there. I have to help. I have to help him." She waits, I guess, till nighttime. Mm. And then the mother comes running out of the house and she plows the mother into the side of the house with her car. Yeah. And it seems like the mother dies. Yeah. So she so she goes in looking for Justin Long. Meanwhile, Justin Long is exploring around down there and comes across another room with a man, an old sick man in a bed. Yeah. And it's the guy that we had just seen. It's Frank, but obviously he's aged. You know, 50 years or however long it's been and he's old and decrepit and he doesn't talk or anything it's everything down there is disgusting and i didn't notice the first time i did notice the second time there's a whole bookshelf loaded with vhs tapes Mm -hmm. and eventually before uh aj notices the tapes he says to the guy "Um, don't worry i'm gonna get us out of here the cops will be here any minute. And uh, when he says that, Frank gestures towards something on the nightstand, but AJ can't figure out what it is that he wants, so he just moves the nightstand over uh, next to him. And then AJ goes and starts looking around, and he finds the shelf with all of the videotapes on it, and they all have like either women's names or descriptions, like Redhead from the gas station, or Mm. Puker, or things like that. And he pops one in, and we just see the light from the television illuminating his face as he's horrified by what he sees. And he turns around, and Frank has pulled a gun out of the nightstand, and AJ's like, no, 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 wait, wait. Um, But he doesn't point it at him. He points it at himself and shoots himself in the head. Obviously, this guy knows that if the cops do show up there, he's gone. it's over for him. Yeah. So, so AJ tries to get out, but he shoots Tess, 
which I don't understand. I, I guess he just sees her flashlight and, and is scared, and so he shoots yeah, her. Yeah, I mean, he's coming down that hallway, and she's coming down to help him, but she's not, like, really yelling out. I'm, it's confusing, and I'm sure he's just jumpy, and he's waiting for that lady to come jumping out at him, because she should still be down right. there, as far as he knows. Yeah, yeah but so. she's not dead. She looks dead for a second, but she's not, and he helps her up, and they go out, but as they get outside, the the mother is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, she is no longer pinned to the house so they don't have a car his keys are in the tunnels and he says i'm not going back down there she says i know where to go because the homeless man had told her that he lives under the water tower so they go to the water tower they find the homeless man and they say who is she uh aj's like that's my house i and he says well you may own the deed but that's been his house for the past 40 some years and he said he used to take women in there and then he'd make babies with them and then he'd make babies with the babies uh and when you make copy after copy after copy, eventually that's what you get. And she just lives down there and comes out at night. And he's like, but don't worry. I, I've been staying here 15 years and she never comes here. And as soon as he says that, she <laughs> grabs him from behind, picks burst him up. through the wall. Yeah, burst through the wall, <laughs> grabs him, picks him up, rips off his arm and beats him to death with it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that was funny. That was, was really funny. funny moment. So AJ and Tess take off running, but they're in kind of like a, I don't know, they're, they're fenced in. So the only place for them to go is up. So they start going up the water tower. And when they get to the top, Tess is like, your gun, because he has one. He took Frank's gun. He pulls it out and then fumbles it and drops it over the side. <laughs> so they're stuck up there and the mother is coming. She's right on their heels. So, God, I mean, like, I can't say that I'm surprised. It's just... Again, it's so jarring to see from Justin Long. He's like, we're trapped. She's going to kill us both. And he says, so I can get away. You're going to have to distract her. So just as the mother gets to the top, he throws her off the water tower. Yeah. Tess. You know, it's funny. You say you you were a little surprised, but you weren't. I, I was the same way because there's a scene we missed, and I can't remember what it was. But there's a moment where Justin's Long's character is sitting, and he's with some other people, and it was right before this. It was with it was her, like, yeah, and the, yeah. the homeless guy, and and he's like, I I did a bad thing. I I don't think I I might have done a bad thing. I'm not a bad person. I can't be a bad person. He's really talking about his remorse back, you know, with over the rape incident and, and saying he's going to fix it. I'm going to yeah, fix it. Like, I'm going to make it okay. And and this is almost like he's redeeming himself by fixing their situation as well. So, you know, he's got this on his mind. Clearly, it's even in this intense moment, this is still weighing heavily on him. And it seems like he's trying to be a good person. And then he does this, which is just the most despicable thing, right? And it's awful. But then also the perspective, I think, kind of shifts I don't know if it's we're supposed to kind of be seeing what she's seeing as she's falling, yeah. but we're we're looking up at the water tower, and in kind of slow motion, you see the mother dive off the side, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful shot. Uh, oh, it it's just amazing. looks fantastic. And then it cuts back to him, and he looks over the side, and somehow Tess has landed on top of the mother, mm-hmm. and they both appear to be dead. And so he goes down and looks, and it turns out that Tess isn't dead. And and he makes some excuse, and it almost sounds like he's making excuses to himself. Cause, yeah. Because at first he says, oh, I didn't have any choice, uh, but 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 I didn't even do anything. You you slipped. Like he's he's re reframing the narrative, mm-hmm. not just for her, but I think for himself too. He doesn't want to believe or admit that he did what he did. Um, but he, he kind of helps her up, but then it turns out the mother is not dead either, which is totally unrealistic, but, um, Mm -hmm. she gets up, she grabs him, lifts him in the air, gouges his eyeballs with her long, gross, nasty fingernails, and then rips his head just apart. And that's satisfying at yeah, this point. Totally, <laughs> you totally. know, we're ready for him to die at that moment, and it happens at that moment. Absolutely. It's very cathartic. It, it's, I don't understand how the mother ended up underneath this woman. I don't know. It defies physics. I, I guess the suggestion is that she was jumping to try to help or protect 
Tess because Tess is her baby. Maybe she grabbed her midair and flipped around. And, or right, Who knows? doesn't make any sense, but I that I think that's what we're supposed to believe. And yeah. then this part surprised me, and surprised me even more on the second viewing. The mother comes over to Tess, who is still on the ground, and she's the mother is trying to comfort her, and like points to her wound and tries to cover it and is stroking her face and and looking back towards the house just going bah bah and Tessa saying I can't go back really the mother is just caressing her and trying to lift her up to try to take her back home I actually felt very sympathetic towards this monstrous woman in this moment she's a victim too she is, you know. I mean, this, the the whole movie is about this. You know, it's it's such a fake out in the beginning where we think the movie's going to be about this man who preys on this woman, and it turns out he's the only good, decent guy uh-huh. <laughs> that Tess encounters in this whole scenario. Right? Everybody else is he, even the, the the male cops are absolutely no help to her. Right. Right. So. And so yeah, so this woman, this poor woman, has led this terrible life, but not her fault. She she's a victim too, but. Ultimately, you know, Tess reaches for the gun and 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 shoots her, uh, and it immediately cuts to black, and th- that song from the '60s, I think, "Be My Baby," uh, <laughs> plays. It's really ironic and funny. Um, and there are a couple. It 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 cuts back to Tess a couple of times as you see her picking herself up and the mother's dead body is laying there and then it goes back to the credits for a second and then it cuts back to her and just shows her walking away as uh the dawn comes and you know that that's it but ultimately i just thought it was a really fun ride but it was it was the shocking elements that made it so fun going back and watching it a second time uh it felt a little bit more Typical. I wasn't as shocked by the appearance of the mother because I knew what to expect, and you know, I knew the backstory already. It, it, it's fun to let everything unfold the first time yeah. you see this movie. It's a really fun experience, and would be fun to share with friends. That's the only reason I think that I would watch it again was if I could watch it with somebody else who hadn't seen it before. Mm, I think it would experience it through their eyes. Yeah, uh-huh, I think it would be fun to see their. Uh, reactions and stuff, but um, having seen it now twice, I'm good, but I do (laughs) solidly recommend it. It's a good movie. It is. It's a fun ride. It's tense. It goes in unexpected places, twists and turns everywhere. I have to admit, I was a little disappointed when the mom came out at the first bit, and this was my first time through. I was like, Uh oh, it's like a mutant... Now you've shown me what it is that, you know, the mystery's kind of gone and it's going to be one of those mutant things. But then the movie took enough left turns from there on out that, uh, yeah, I was like, didn't have a problem with it anymore. Yeah. And it's it's dark material, like mm-hmm. dark, scary, and within the realm of reality in a way. You know, we're not talking about supernatural elements here. We're just talking about this crazy kind of sad inbred victim woman with this guy who does this terrible thing. And like I said, this is this kind of thing happens. It's in the news. Yeah. So uh, I had kind of forgotten about that, but you're right. It it probably was about 10 years ago that there were like two or three stories back to back about these men keeping, I, I think, you know, their daughters and then fathering children with their daughters. And, you know, that's such a real life nightmare. And then, of course, these women are found and let out into the world they have children mm-hmm. you know by their father and how do you move forward from that i can't even begin to imagine isn't that like more or less unbreakable kimmy schmidt uh, yeah backstory as well uh, you know this movie as dark as it was and as tense as it was interjected little bits of comedy here yeah, and there uh-huh. but it was never distracting from the plot it was never Never devolved into camp. No, it was. It was also never obvious or like okay, you know. Now people are wisecracking and being silly and Uh in a bad situation. Just very, very skillful filmmaking. And I think that uh, this director Zach Kreger is going to get a lot of work from this movie. Yeah, I would think so because it's really well done. Mm -hmm. I mean, just technically, it looks great. Oh yeah, it's a, a really good looking movie. It's well shot. It seems to be doing well, too. I mean, uh, people it's, are like talking said, it, about it. Yeah. People are talking about it. They're getting a lot of buzz. It's getting good reviews on, um, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. I think financially it's been successful. Uh, it was shot for four and a half million. 
but because a lot of it's on streaming, uh, there aren't really a lot of figures right now as to what it's making. Right, right. But, uh, I can't imagine that this movie is isn't making a lot of money right now among among the horror crowd. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for recommending it, Craig. Really, really enjoyed it. You guys out there, if you have any thoughts or if you've seen this movie recently, please check us out online. You can go to our Facebook page. That's one of the easiest ways to reach us. But also you can go to our website, twoguys.red40net.com and leave us a message there. You can also uh, join the conversation over at our Patreon page. If you donate about five bucks a month or 10 bucks a month, whatever you want, you get access to a bunch of little extras as well as a little more direct access to us. We uh, are quite active with chatting back and forth with our patrons there. We have a Discord that you can access and uh, some goodies as well. So please check that out at uh, patreon.com slash chainsawpodcast. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Chainsaw.